What happened was they paid him $3.15 an hour, 10 cents an hour more than me. And I was so mad because I'd been there for, for two years and I went to the manager and I said, what's the deal with the other Mark uh, running the hockey department getting 10 cents more than my department? And they said, well, the, the manager, the head store manager thinks that you don't work very hard. Now, of course, that wasn't true. I did work hard, but you know how I work. I make it look easy. Look at what I'm doing right now. I'm making this look easy. This is hard work, what I'm doing right now. You just don't recognize it. Welcome to Church of the Rock from Winnipeg. Stay tuned to this week's thought-provoking message from Pastor Mark Hughes. Sit back and enjoy because today I'm carrying on with the series, A Greater Passion. So week one, we talked about this. Week one, we talked about the power of passion. Week two, it was the passion paradox. Week three, the passionate partner. Week four, the passionate parent. And this week, we are talking about the passionate plumber. Now, I know some of you are saying, wow, Pastor Mark's going to teach us about plumbing, and that's going to save us so much money. Well, it really would. If I could teach you plumbing in half an hour, I'd do it. All right, so this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at a little verse here, and uh, the verse is in uh, Colossians chapter 3. But before we get to it, I want to talk about something, because what happens is when we think about our jobs, if anybody thinks that God's not interested in our career, then they've got another thing coming, and they've never actually read the Scripture. Because as you look into Scripture, you discover that God lists and names almost every occupation of every person in Scripture. You start with the very first person, Adam. He had a task. He was put in the garden to tend the garden. His son Cain was a tiller of the ground. His son Abel was a keeper of sheep. We have Nimrod, he was a mighty hunter. We have Joshua, he was a soldier. We have David, who was also a shepherd. We have Paul, who was a tent maker. We have Peter, who was a fisherman. We had Matthew, who was a tax collector. We had Judas, who was a thief. We had Rahab, who was a harlot. Everybody needs a job, right? Even Jesus was a carpenter. We know what his occupation was. And as you look into scripture, you discover this. You discover that even God worked in the beginning for six days and on the seventh day he rested. And then he gave that pattern to mankind. Mankind was meant and created to work. You work for six days and you rest on the seventh. Now as a pastor, people think I do that in reverse. They think I rest six days and work only on Sundays. And the only thing I work an hour a week. They say, what exactly do you do anyway? You only work an hour a week. All right, so here we are, we're in Colossians chapter 3, we're looking at verse 22, and it says, Bondservants, obey all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servants as eye pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Here it is. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. This is amazing. I hope you didn't miss this. It said, whatever you do, do it heartily. Because he says your job, whatever you do, whatever it is, whatever realm, whatever vocation, whatever career path you're in, the scripture says we do not do it to men, but we do it to him. We get our reward from him and that we actually serve God with our career. 
we always think that the career is something we do for ourselves. And we don't really understand the ethic of work, that God has instituted the fact that man was actually created to work. And this whole journey, this whole vector of time, and God's plan and purpose for the earth, much of it has to do with the fact that he has called us to work, and if you take the work out of it, none of it functions. And every one of us is called to work in some way, in some fashion, and whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord, the scripture says. And the irony to me is the fact that so many people spend their whole life trying to figure out ways not to work and how to get out of work and how to retire early. And they're so motivated, you know, and, and there's all kinds of plans. How do I retire early? How do I do, make the most amount of money with the least amount of work? And not looking at the actual value of the work it, itself. And here's what the passionate plumber, here's how he thinks. Number one, he enjoys his job more than his paycheck. He loves people more than his job, and he gets good at it, and then he makes more money at it. So we're gonna start with the first one here. The passionate plumber, what he does is he enjoys the job more than the paycheck. And the verse that I've got for you here is this. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, for this was the reward for my labor. So that's, those are the words of King Solomon, the world's most passionate man. And he actually tells us that the reward of our labor is actually doing the labor. And yes, there is a reward down the line, and sure, you might get paid for it, you might produce something in life. But this whole concept of the actual job being the reward is sort of foreign to us. And that's what he says. And the key for me is what we need to do is actually enjoy whatever we do. We need to enjoy the job more than we enjoy the paycheck. You know, we all are aware that, that recently we lost uh, Canadian and television host Alex Trebek. And Alex Trebek, he, he hosted for many, many years, decades in fact, uh, the program Jeopardy. And of course, we all know because his battle with cancer was very public, and it was probably two years that he fought and battled this thing off. But what you might not know, you may or may not know, is that he taped his last Jeopardy shows eight days before he died. Even though he was sick, even though he was dying. Here's, here's the point. He was 80 years old. He had cancer. Did he need the money? Is that why he kept on working? If you're eight days from death, you don't need the money. In fact, he had $75 million is his estimated net worth. So I don't think he was actually doing it for the money. Why was he doing it? He said many times he loved what he did. And so he had no reason to quit. He could have quit decades ago. He had enough money. That wasn't the motivation. It was the love of the job. So I want to tell you a little story. You're going to crack up when you hear this story. So a few weeks ago, I mentioned my passion growing up was skiing and how I didn't, it was all things skiing. I thought about it all day long. That's all I could think about. When I was 15 years old, I was in grade 10, and we had what was called a work experience day. And we had to go and find somebody that would take us on for a day. You did it for free, and you got to go do the job. Now, my father was a lawyer, so I offered to go take one of his court cases, and he, he, he declined my offer. And so anyway, I didn't really want to do that, but it would have been fun, I suppose. That poor guy would have been hung, I guess. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, my, my big passion was skiing. So what I did was I went down to Gord's Ski Shop, which was in Winnipeg growing up, and I went down there and asked Gord if he'd hired me for a day. He said, well, I don't have money to pay you. I said, I'll do it for free. They want me to do it. So he hired me for a day, and I remember I was in the shop all day long. I was waxing skis and sharpening skis and working on skis, and I had the greatest day. It was a fantastic day because that was my passion, skiing. So I was in the ski shop, had a great day. Now, here's the funny part of this story, that back in those days, probably most people don't know this, the Canadian Tire actually had a ski department. 
And they sold not only cross-country skis, but they sold downhill skis. And uh, you, you, I know most of you can't imagine buying downhill skis there because they're kind of technical in the bindings. And so I went down to Canadian Tire, I was 15 years old, and I offered to run their ski program for them, their ski shop for them, and they hired me at 15. They said, what experience do you have? I said, I've worked at Gord's ski shop. And they immediately, <laughs> I didn't tell them I did it for free and I did it for one day. They immediately hired me. And so I went in and uh, this, is, this is kind of funny, it was a long time ago, but they paid me, they paid me $2.65 an hour. And there I was, mounting bindings, adjusting skis, selling them to people. I have no idea how many people broke their leg as a result of me. But that's what I did, sent them out every day. I was sending skis out, running the whole ski department. I was 15 years old. And so I did that for two years, and by the time two years was up, I had really earned my worth, and they were now paying me $3.05 an hour. And there was another kid that came along, he was actually a year younger than me, he was 16 years old, and they hired him to run the hockey department in the sporting goods. Imagine, you know, here's what I've learned about Canadian Tire, and you gotta love them. They want to get the best talent they can get for $3 an hour. <laughs> they hired all these kids to run these departments. So anyway, but what happened, his name was Mark as well, what happened was they paid him $3.15 an hour, 10 cents an hour more than me. And I was so mad because I'd been there for, for two years and I went to the manager, I said, what's the deal with the other Mark uh, running the hockey department getting 10 cents more than my department? And they said, well, the, the manager, the head store manager thinks that you don't work very hard. Now, of course, that wasn't true. I did work hard, but you know how I work. I make it look easy. Look at what I'm doing right now. I'm making this look easy. This is hard work, what I'm doing right now. You just don't recognize it. And so anyway, they didn't think I was working hard enough. So I went to the manager, the store manager, and I quit. I quit my job, went home, told my dad. He was so mad at me. I think I've told you that part of the story before. He was so mad at me. He says, Mark, have you done the math? It's 10 cents an hour. It's going to be like $30 over the whole year. And then I realized how stupid I was, because you know why? I actually loved my job. That was the thing, I loved my job. I loved running the ski department. I loved being the manager at 15. Who gets to be the manager? So what if they were paying me $3 an hour? I was the manager, and I was loving what I did. And you know, here's my point in all this. Life is too short not to be passionate about your career. Life is too short. And so for, for, if you're not enjoying your career, if you're not loving what you're doing, there are so many opportunities. In today's day and age, you don't have to stay doing what you're doing. Go find something you do love to do. Why would you do something for 30 or 40 years that you didn't absolutely love? And I believe that everybody should be the passionate plumber or the passionate whatever. And Paul says, whatever you do, and actually he addresses bond servants, doesn't he? And we know that many of the people that he was addressing were actually people in servitude or, or slavery or slavery rather, or at the very least indentured laborers, they had no choice. And he says, do it heartily on to the Lord, because by doing so, you serve the Lord. And we know at least one example from, from biblical history, and that was Joseph. He was born a free man, but he ended up a slave in Egypt, and it says the Lord was with him, and he became a very successful man. How does a slave become a very successful man? by doing it heartily before the Lord and getting the reward from the Lord. That's how you do it. And so when we look at life, are we going to be passionate about what we do? See, the passionate physician 
is not just passionate about the paycheck. He's passionate about helping people get well who are sick. The passionate pastry chef is someone who's passionate about creating these little pastries, the amount of work you've seen them. I mean, I would never want to do that, but it's a creativity, and they're passionate about the creation. The passionate painter is someone who wants to take a can of paint and beautify the world. They're passionate about it. a real, true, passionate painter, which is what every painter should be. So I want to tell you a little story about that. So my brother, my, my next one down, he's uh, in the real estate business. He loves to buy buildings and buy businesses. And most recently, he bought a bowling alley. And he's into his bowling alley, and he loves his bowling alley. And uh, many of you from Winnipeg would know it. It was Park Lanes over on Osborne. And so he's bought this bowling alley, and he's fixing it up, and he's gutting it, and he's renovating the whole thing. And he has a friend who's a painter. But the painter actually knows how to do murals as well. And so he said to his painter friend, he said, why don't you put a mural on that wall? And he produced this music video with the time-lapse photography of this friend of his painting this wall. I don't have time to show you the video because it's three or four minutes long. But I'll tell you, it was outstanding. Here's what this guy did on my brother's bowling alley wall. And uh, it was just absolutely stunning. And uh, he said, I didn't pay him any more than I would have paid him to paint the wall. And I thought to myself, that's a passionate painter. That's someone who gets this, and it's not just a matter of slapping some paint on the wall. It's a matter of making a difference in the world. And that's what this is all about, enjoying our job more than our paycheck. And you know how you tell if somebody, here's the little secret for you. Here's how you tell if somebody's passionate about their job. All you have to do is ask them about it. And when they talk about it, if they light up, that's all you need to know. And I'll tell you, men are, men are the most effusive about that. Men are so into their jobs, and you ask them about their job, and if they're passionate about it, boom, their face lights up. And the, one, the ones I get the most kick out of in this church are the farmers. They love what they do. You ask them about farming, and boy, you're in a conversation. I'll tell you something. You can take the farmer off of the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the farmer. And even when they're retired, they love farming. And I'll tell you why. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. They live on the farm. They breathe the farm. And it's not easy work. It's tough work. And you're under, under so much duress and so many obstacles that you can't control. And yet they love doing it. And most farmers I know, they live poor and die rich. By the time they're, they're dead, they have all this land worth all these millions of dollars. Meanwhile, they're driving their $5,000 beat-up pickup truck out to their field where their $500,000 tractor is. That's not no joke. Tractors are now half a million dollars. Go figure, right? Now, I know something about this because I farmed for 10 years. Some of you know that. I'm a graduate of agriculture from U of M. And we had a little joke that we, we told when we were in school. And this is how it went. I'll tell you how it went. It went, so what are you going to do when you graduate? And the answer was, borrow a million dollars and farm until it's all gone. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> so the first thing is this, is that you need to enjoy the job more than the paycheck. But the second part of it is this. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. You need to love the people more than the job. And this is what Solomon said. He's got wisdom in all these things. This is Solomon's sweet spot. And he says in Ecclesiastes 3.13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor is the gift of God. And so it's not just the labor, it's the fruit of the labor. And I've told you this, you know, several times during this series, 
that when it comes to being passionate, the greater passion is rarely about a who, or sorry, about a what. It's almost always about a who. It's the who, not the what. It's the people. And that's why we need to love the people more than we love the actual job. Now, I'm going to tell you a funny story from Scripture about this. It's a bizarre story, frankly, but it'll make my point very clearly. So we know that uh, Isaac had two sons, uh, Esau and, and Jacob. And Jacob's mother told him, don't marry one of the Canaanites. You need to go back to your own people and marry one of your own kind. And so he agreed to do that, and he traveled, and he ended up at his uncle Laban's place. And uh, many of you remember this story. And as soon as he saw Rachel, one of, one of Laban's daughters, he knew he was in love with this woman. So then when he offered himself to Laban, he said, I've become willing to work for you and you know, run your sheep here. Uh, he said to him, you know, because your family... You know, I'm not going to not pay you. I've got to pay you something. He says, what, what do you want for pay? Like, literally, he made, gave a blank offer. He said, how much do you want to be paid? And then, this is a deal. It was Jacob's own fault. He says, I will work for seven years for your daughter's hand in ma marriage. And so Laban goes, deal. <laughs> That's a long time for a woman. Not, not that women aren't important. <laughs> but, but you get my point. He wasn't getting paid. He was waiting for the woman. So the staff's all laughing. They're, they realize I stuck my foot in it. So, <laughs> so anyway, so he works. It says he worked the seven days. This is what the scripture says, literally. It says, it felt like only a few days because of his great love for her. And so obviously he was doing it, this one I don't want you to miss, he was doing it for the love of the people over the job itself, right? The job was neither here nor there. He was happy to do it for seven years. Now, of course, you remember what happens next, right? Laban pulls a little fast one on him, and he switches out his daughter for the older one, Leah, who the Bible says was sort of the homely-looking one, switches her out. I guess in, in Jacob's excitement, he didn't notice. I don't know how you don't notice such things. Anyway, I guess he was excited. He didn't notice, forgot to look. And uh, he wakes up in the morning, and he's married to Leah. And he goes, ah, <laughs> wrong girl. And so then he goes to Laban, and he says, what's the deal? This is Leah. I said I'd make the deal for Rachel. And so Laban says, well, I don't know what they do from where you come from, but here you marry off the eldest daughter first. So he says, tell you what, another seven years, you can have the other one. <laughs> it's a hilarious story, isn't it? So he works another seven years, 14 years, but he was willingly did it because it was the love for this person that motivated him. And so when I look at people today, I think we need to consider this very idea that it's the love of the people, not the love of the job. Uh, if we can make that small adjustment, if we can do that, that little pivot where we are now doing our job for the people, not the actual job and certainly not the money, if we can do it for that purpose, you know what, everything, everything changes. And so for the passionate real estate agent, for example, if that person get focused on helping a young couple buy their first home and the joy of helping that couple get into a home in a difficult real estate market like it is today, boy, that would bring a lot of purpose to what they're doing. If, uh, if the banker, the passionate banker, helps someone in financial trouble, and the real motivation is not to make the faceless corporation more money, but to help someone solve their financial problems, boy, that's got real purpose to it. If the passionate mechanic is really concerned about helping someone get their car back on the road, 
Isn't that a much greater and a much greater passion and greater purpose than just making a few bucks or getting the job done? And I actually have a story about that. So a number of years ago, I was taking the kids, whole family, we were going skiing out west, and I was in my van, everybody knows my van around here, and I was driving my minivan, we were going west, and by the time we got to Medicine Hat, or just outside of Medicine Hat, the transmission went, I could tell it was going on the vehicle, and so I asked the gas station, I said, is there a transmission shop? And they said where it was, and I drove to the transmission shop, and they put it up in the hoist, and they looked at it, we got all our skis, all our gear. We have to be there that night, you know, at the ski area. We've all, we paid for the whole trip. And he says, your transmission's shot. And so we said, well, what can you do? He says, you know, let me phone the wrecker. He phoned the wrecker, and the wrecker had a used transmission. He said, why don't you leave it here for the week? He says, I'll swap it out for the used transmission. And he says, let me call the rental car place, see if I can get you a minivan. And I don't know any of these people. I'm in Medicine Hat. I don't know any of these people. So he's on the phone with the rental car company trying to find us a minivan. And I'm looking, and above his counter, there's all these thank you cards from all of these customers. And they've all said, thank you for getting my car back up on the road and, and you know, had his name in it and, you know, and these great thank yous. And I'm thinking, boy, these people in this town really like this guy. And, uh, you know, people love their transmission guy in this town. It was just sort of a thought going through my head. So anyway, about 10 minutes later, the rental van arrives. We move all our ski stuff into the van. We get back on the road. We're literally back on the road in 45 minutes from when we got there. And we made it to our destination. We did our ski week. We brought the rental van back to Medicine Hat. Now the scary part. You know what the scary part is? The bill, right? The, the bill was the scary part. So, so we get to the, the shop there, and I'm really nervous. And he says, you know, I'm going to have to have $500 for this job. I'm going, $500? Do you, if anybody knows anything about fixing transmissions, you can't swap a transmission out for $500. It's 10, 12 hours of labor. He charged me $500. And so I paid the man. Then I said to him, you know, I think you might not have charged me enough. I, I, I waited until I was paid before I said that. And I said, I'm, you may not have charged me enough for this. He said, you know... I said, you could have taken advantage of me here. I'm from out of town. You're never going to see me again. He says, I've built my reputation of this company of taking care of people and helping them get their car back on the road. Why would I take advantage of you just because you're from out of town? And I got into my van, and I, and I, and I, and I drove home. And the whole time I'm thinking about this guy that put my well-being ahead of himself and ahead of everything else. And you know what the first thing I did when I got home was I sent him a thank you card thanking him for what he had done with it. And I knew which restaurants were in, in Medicine Hat, so I sent him a gift certificate for 50 bucks so he could take his wife out for dinner. I was just so grateful that this guy had helped me out in my hour of need. And you see, that's what the passionate employee does. That's what the passionate worker does. That's what the passionate person, someone who understands their greater passion. So the first thing is this, that we need to enjoy the job more than the paycheck. We need to love the people more than the job itself, because it's all about people. And the last and final thing is this. The passionate plumber, he gets good at it and then makes more money at it. See, if you do something long enough, you'll get good at it. This is what the Proverbs says. Again, the wisdom of Solomon. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes one rich. Tell you something super funny. Growing up, the richest man in our neighborhood, are you ready for this, was a plumber. 
It's a true story. He was a plumber. He lived right down the street from us. He owned this plumbing business. I was, it was probably 50 years ago, so keep it in perspective. Uh, he sold his business for a million dollars. Now, 50 years ago, a million dollars was a million dollars. It was a lot of money, a million dollars then. Now you need a, million, a billion dollars or nobody even you know, thinks that's money. But back then, a million dollars was so much money. He was a millionaire. He was the only millionaire on the street. And they had cars and they had boats and they had cottages and everybody envied them. And I thought, isn't that interesting? He was a passionate plumber. And what he did was he just got good at it and he got so good at it, somebody wanted his business and paid him a million dollars for it. And one of the big mistakes that people make in our day and age is they're never doing something long enough to get good at it. And they're always quitting. And they're always starting over again. And then they're wondering, why can't I make a go in life? And if you do something long enough, you'll actually get good at it. And when you get good at it, guess what? Somebody is going to pay you for it. And in fact, if you get really good at it, you're actually going to get paid really well for it. So I'm just going to close one final story on this. I mean, we could talk about all kinds of different people. I don't care what you do. You could, have, you could be a wealthy barber. How, how, how would you become a wealthy barber? I mean, some of them are called celebrity hairdressers, and they're very, very wealthy. You say, well, I'm a cook. How can I become wealthy? You can become a celebrity chef. They're very wealthy. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, you're, you know just because you're doing one of those things, you're going to become a celebrity at it. The point is this. If you do something long enough, and if you apply to your, yourself to it, you're going to get good at it. And if you get good at it, somebody's going to pay you to do it. So I'm going to end with one of my favorite stories. Some of you have heard this before, but I love this story. And it's the story of Cal Ripken Jr. And if you were to ask people, he played for the Baltimore Orioles, and if you ask people this question, what is Cal Ripken Jr. famous for? And they would all say the same thing, showing up for work. And his claim to fame was that he played 2,632 consecutive games. No one will ever break that record again. And here's the story. Cal Ripken Jr., uh, he grew up in Baltimore. He ended up getting recruited by the Baltimore Orioles. He played uh, 21 seasons with them. And uh, if you were to, they did a poll amongst major baseball fans. I love the stories. I don't really like watching baseball. It's like grass growing. Uh, but I love the stories because there's so many fantastic stories. And they asked the fans this, what was the most memorable moment in the 20th century in baseball? And they all agreed that it was September 6, 1995, and that was the day that Cal Ripken Jr. played more consecutive games than Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig's record was 2130, and it was the 2131st game for Cal Ripken Jr. And uh, here's what happened was uh, that in the fifth inning, it became official, and the fireworks went off, and the celebration began, and the crowd went nuts, and there he was, this humble man, he's a very humble man, uh, six foot four shortstop, I think that's irony, and uh, there he was, and they, his teammates pushed him out and said, do a victory lap, so he went out there, and he, and he did a, a victory lap, and people were cheering, it was in their hometown, it was the Orioles playing the Angels, and the people cheered, and they cheered, and they cheered, and they cheered, and they cheered, and he just stood there, just totally humbled in this moment. For 20 minutes, this standing ovation went on for 20 minutes. Finally, they silenced the crowd. They said, we've got to carry on with the game. They carried on with the game. And it's almost as if scripted and on cue, uh, he had gone to bat and he had hit a home run in this historic game. 
And here's the fascinating part about him. When people talk about Cal Ripken Jr., they think about this dedication, they think about how committed he was playing so many consecutive games. They rarely talk about how good he was at the game. And after 21 seasons and 2,632 games, he's one of the best players baseball ever produced. And I'll give you a little bit of his stats. Uh, he was an all-star in 19 of his 21 seasons. He won the Golden Glove uh, two times. Uh, he was the MVP two times. He hit uh, over 3,100 hits, over uh, 431 home runs, 1,695 RBIs. Uh, he's one of only seven people in the Hall of Fame that has hit, hit more than 400 home runs. He's one of the best baseball players that baseball has ever produced. And really, the claim to his fame is the fact that he showed up for work. And if you show up for work, you're going to get good at it, and somebody's going to pay you for it. And I looked up his net worth today, and he's worth over $75 million. And he plays baseball. And you know what? It doesn't matter what we do. God is so interested in what you do. And whatever you do, do it as heartily and unto the Lord. And if you become passionate at what you do, God will reward you. That's the story of the passionate plumber. Pastor Mark's second book, A Greater Passion, is now available. Passion is the fuel for life and the key to pursuing our potential. If you have ever wondered if you could get more out of life, then this book is for you, filled with inspirational stories, laugh-out-loud humor. Visit churchoftherock.ca now to get your copy shipped right to your door.